0: So, um, you guys like jokes? I like jokes. Okay, cool. Well, I got a joke I'm about to drop on you. So a thief dr- <laughs> <laughs> is so bad. Yeah, you know, it took it took everything it took everything from in, uh,
1: everything inside of me not to
0: click on that link. You said, "Do not." click I on. I know. It. Don't click on the dad jokes <laughs> link. A thief broke into my house last night looking for money.
1: Oh yeah. So I got up to
0: join them. <laughs> 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 what? <laughs> that's a wow. classic that's
1: that's a classic dad joke
0: yeah yeah that's a classic dad joke so um it, it just sort of reflects everything about dads inside riding trainers just a bunch of cheap dads cobbling together systems like this is not your you know peloton photo op when you look at the photos of where these guys are getting it on with their trainers every morning
1: getting it on with their trainers every morning yeah,
0: yeah. i get it on my train every morning Yep, that's that's great. All right, welcome everybody to the Never Going Pro Podcast, featuring dads inside riding trainers, featuring GC Coaching. It's a podcast about riding bikes and parenthood and trying really, really hard at both. I'm your host, Ken the Badger Nowell, and with me is Shane Gaffney, owner of GC Coaching, and also Chris Gorney, fellow dirt teammate, and our marketing consultant. So let's just take a few minutes to catch up with everybody, see how everyone everyone's week going. So, um, guys. How is everyone? Everyone's good here, man. Mm.
1: Kids good. <laughs> Chris uh, is a sick one at home. Yeah, my my daughter is a champ until things don't go her way, and <laughs> uh, then it's like two Legos that don't connect the right way is is the world ending? So no, she's got a fever. She she's fine. She just uh, I think she's smart and realizes that when she's sick, she just gets to eat all the cheese crackers and blueberries she wants.
0: Oh boy! Um, yeah, yeah. So, so. That's,
1: she's she's not dumb, but no, she's fine. My, you know, it's when a sick kid at home is often worse on the parent who is watching said sick kid than it mm-hmm. is yep, for the kid. But uh,
0: I, I tell you, I, I never minded it too much when you know I would I would I would call in sick, and my daughter she was just the most cuddly thing all day. We just cuddle up on the couch all day and watch silly shows and. Uh, maybe the occasional mountain bike video. Um, so anyway, uh, uh, how old are your kids? How old are your kids guys? I'm sure our audience would like to know. Oh, that's great.
1: Go ahead, Shane.
2: Uh, I have a t- almost three year old named Finn. He'll be three in September and I have a five month old. Well, I'll show you almost five month old named grace.
1: Oh, that's so great. I actually didn't know. I thought your kids are older.
0: Yeah, five months old already. I remember. I remember when you were uh, going on paternity leave there for a little bit. Yeah, that was back in February, so it was a while ago.
1: Ken, you were there at the birth, right? You caught the child?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't so lucky. Uh, I I was down here (laughs) in North Carolina, so I missed the the whole event. Um, How about Uh, you, Chris? How how old are your kids?
1: I have kid- uh, Kid. I have a nearly two month old, two month old, way off, a terrible father. A nearly two year old little girl named Charlotte. Awesome. Uh, and we call her Charlie. Okay. Um, and we live on Charlotte Street, which uh, was an accident, but is now everyone's like the joke they tell us, like as if it's the they're the first people to say it. So that's like our thing now. It's like, oh, Charlotte on Charlotte Street, and we're like, yeah, that's thanks. That's like, yeah dad joke number, you know, 11484118910 <laughs> now, but whatever.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I've got I got a little girl. She's almost 6 years old, so we kept her for an additional year in uh, like a 5s preschool class. So she'll be starting kindergarten here soon. Got a birthday in 2 weeks. And yeah, just living the dream, man.
1: Hey, can we briefly, I know this is a podcast about dad's parents? Moms, which we're all equipped to talk about, of course, and you know <laughs> featuring when we'll have moms on here soon. And training. But can we talk about the Tour de France? We can talk about the Tour minutes.
0: de France for a few minutes. And assuming everyone's seen today's stage, congratulations to Caleb Ewan, his first time in the tour, I believe. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Huge. Inches. Yeah. Inches.
0: I need
2: to make a confession. I haven't watched one second of a tour this year.
1: Well, that's because you don't know
0: you don't know anything about cycling. <laughs> Not too much.
1: <laughs> so, so I mean, that's actually
0: all. a good um, question. Uh, is um, Shane, are you a big cycling fan, or is just you know this just work to you these days? I'm a huge cycling fan, and yeah, it's just work
2: between uh, GC coaching, Zwift, and then obviously two very young kids. I just don't have a lot of free time on my hands to watch the tour, so. I'm hoping to catch up on cool. it this weekend if I can. Um, well, I, the NBC there's... Sports Gold app. That's really nice because yes. they have a lot of nice um, recaps of, of episodes. Well,
1: it's not actually nice. It just, here's the <laughs> thing. Here's my opinion on that, which everyone needs to know. It's not that it's good. It's that this year it sucks slightly less than it you has mean the app? previous years. And so it's the app. It's, I mean, I don't know. I mean, NBC's got to have money, right? Like they just need to hire one good app developer who's hopefully not listening right now like they it's just anyway i mean it every time i put it on my sole goal is to not have the stage ruined
0: and you know is the first year that they came out with that app i actually sent a a message to nbc um it was the year where i, I was like yeah you know as soon as that like most of us can't watch this until we get off of work if you're in the united states and you know i jumped on and saw that like the on the front front page or on the home page uh wiggins had won the time trial with Froome in a close second and they were one and two and i was like yeah. well, thanks you know like, thanks, good, guys. good job <laughs> thanks." <guys. laughs>
1: well hey full confession i have been i have watched nearly every minute of the tour so far um and i realize how boring that is but what I do is I put it on in the background while I'm working and I just listen for the words attack or crash. And then I go back over to it and back it up 15 seconds. And it is an amazingly yeah, soothing way to watch true. the
0: tour. Um, it is a good way to watch the tour. And I did that in years past, but you know, being the cheap dad that I am, obviously you've heard my sense of humor. Um, I am now, um, just, uh, I use a different app called Reddit, where I go on the Peloton community, our Peloton. And just watch the highlights every day, about an hour after the stage ends. And that's it. That's yeah, probably a yeah. much better use of yeah, your time. Yeah, I actually get stuff done in July now.
1: We actually, when we got married, we didn't have a TV for a bunch of years because we decided we like we just wanted to give that a shot. And then my wife got tired of me like being sad every July. So, one July, I got like a surprise gift and we have a TV solely so that, that I could is watch Super awesome. France, Which... It shows you how awesome my wife is and how unhealthy I am. Cool. Well, it's a it's a good tour. It is like a changing of the guard. Like you're seeing some guys, some older guys, seemingly, you know, final performances maybe, Um, and then uh, some new guys. A lot of cyclocross guys that are just monsters.
0: Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of that. But you know, I think the the really exciting thing for me is just to see how uh, exciting um, cross country racing has gotten. Um, watching, uh, the, the less gets, uh, France race last week in Andorra, uh, I guess one or two weeks before that. And this woman, Kate Courtney, if you're not familiar, is just probably the most dominant American cyclist right now. And maybe one of the most dominant cyclists she, in the she's world right now. For sure. Yep. She is amazing. She came out of the NICA system, which is, um, uh, basically a high school mountain bike league. And it's just, you know, proliferating throughout the entire United States. Um, It's National Interscholastic Cycling Association. So, if you are looking to get involved, I've been coaching as a NICA coach for a local high school for the uh, last season. It was a very rewarding experience, and I just love it. Oh,
1: that's why you're always posting stuff with high school students going mountain biking. (laughs) Uh, Makes a lot more sense now. Yes. (laughs) I just thought maybe you didn't have anybody else to ride with.
0: Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't just show up at the high school and you know. <laughs> so, that's better. You guys want to go ride bikes? You know, it's a volunteer position, but it's I love it. I I pay to do it. It's awesome. And I'm
1: sure they would let you pay.
0: Oh, they do. Um. Well, cool. So this week, so last week we talked about a couple of topics. I can't remember the exact questions. Or let me say, two weeks ago. But the focus question for this week is: When your training schedule gets for way derailed by work or family commitments, what is the best way to get back on track? And so I know that Shane has done quite a bit of research on this, and he's about to drop the knowledge on us. So, Shane, we're going to turn it over to our or the brains of the outfit. Hear what you got to say. All right. We have we have
1: we have research. You did research and have citations. Is that right?
2: Yes. I do. Yep, I do. Yeah, I try to make sure I can back up what I can hopefully say. So <laughs> that's, that's one of one of us should. When I read that question, I thought of kind of two two forks. I guess I guess one fork, one prong of the fork is to talk about detraining, and the other prong of the fork is to talk about how to get yourself back on track again.
1: Could could we call that detraining and retraining?
2: You could, yeah. Detraining, retraining. Or Is that, so is that just stupid? Sure. No, not at all. I would say that's retraining or, you know, getting back into shape again or however you want to say it. I like the Um, illustration. So detraining is essentially you are just losing your aerobic, anaerobic sprints, endurance, strength, basically all this, all the things you're trying to build up with training, you're slowly and steadily losing that. So long story short is as you detrain, you lose your high end performance first And you lose your strength and your endurance typically last. So that's why you may have noticed if you do a Zwift race after a long time off, you get completely smoked off the gate, but you can go out and ride for a couple hours without too much of an
0: issue. Okay. So just to clarify, when you say your high high end performance, like are we talking our one or three second sprint wattage here or something a little longer? It's a good question. I would say something a little longer. So
2: I would say somewhere between like the thirty second to five minute range. Mm, okay. Because you actually maintain your you know, like your strength and your sprint fairly well, which you know, the other short sprints, like five to ten seconds. But once you start to extend that out into kind of the VO two max range, that's when you really start to see the differences between the detraining.
1: So how would I know how would I know I have entered because I'm always thinking like you know, every man like terms and things like that. Like, how would I know if I have entered a VO2 max effort when I'm out on the bike? So I even know if I have it or don't have it.
2: So typically VO2 max is something you can sustain for five to eight minutes. And by the time you get to that five to eight minutes, you are completely just smoked. So you just literally can't turn the pedals any further.
1: What if that's every day I get on my bike and I (laughs) (laughs) That's good. (laughs) Is there a problem? Am I doing something wrong? I don't think so. No.
2: (laughs) Yeah, good, right, good. So typically, you can establish what your VO2 max is in a lab doing a uh, RIP test, or you can also use things like WKO software, the models think your VO2 max is. Now, what your VO2 max is, that power, you can sustain that for, like I said, five to eight minutes, typically, depending on your level of training. With the more trained you are, you can sustain it for longer And then vice versa, less trained you are saying it for less. So the big changes is in VO2 max. So VO2 max changes happen because you have decreased blood volume, which is essentially your blood plasma, your red blood cells. So you lose your ability to carry oxygen throughout your body. You also lose your lung strength and your heart can actually shrink in size too, which means the muscles don't pump as efficiently and you also lose your fat utilization during your training and you become more reliant on carbohydrate mm. which is you know kind of a big issue because you have a very finite supply of carbohydrate on board and you have a practically limitless supply of fat on board so we train to become you know it's a kind of a buzzword become fat adapted so we train to ideally increase the amount of fat we Use in a substrate, and then we ideally try to reduce the amount of carbohydrate we use just to maintain it for longer.
1: Okay, so I want you to create me like a training plan. <laughs>
2: okay, good. You just learned <laughs> another class. Last piece,
1: what that is, Hired.
2: you also become less insulin sensitive, which means you you lose the ability for your muscles to uptake glucose in your bloodstream. It's kind of like a double edged sword where you burn more carbohydrate for every pedal stroke, but you also Are able to absorb less carbohydrate that you're intaking. Wait, say that again. So you become more reliant on carbohydrate, and then you also reduce your insulin sensitivity, which means that your muscle's ability to uptake glucose into them decreases.
0: So, oh, so it's really a twofold thing. So, like, you can't you can't get the glucose, which is carbohydrate, into your cells. But right. you also – your body is now requiring that you burn more carbohydrate to fuel your efforts. So, like, now, now it. it's like, oh, no, man. It, you, your body is basically saying, I'm, I'm going to burn through these carbohydrates super fast and there's nothing stored in the tank to keep me going. Okay. Okay. Got you it. You got, got it. it.
1: So, donuts is the answer.
0: Donuts which is great. Yeah. As long as you can do – as long as
2: your stomach can – Tolerate them when you're going full gas for sure. <laughs> so, man,
1: it's it's interesting. I, as I've gotten older, like my ability to go out and just eat like crap food is for sure gone down, as it does. Yeah. But I have, I think, I think because I've both been training on a bike, but also including so many cafe stops with pastries over the years, that I've like also been training my body to be able to continue to eat tons of trashy pastries. So I might not be able to go eat fast food anymore, but I can still hammer a ton of donuts without getting a stomachache. And I think it's because of cycling, Sure, which is an amazing, which is an amazing, um, joy well, that's, in my life. Yeah, that's good. Sure. So
0: I guess Shane, so, I mean, what are your thoughts on fuel and arrive with stuff like donuts? Is the fat content too high in them to be really ideal? Yeah. The fat content will be too high
2: and it'll be more don't, or less. Don't ruin, this. <laughs> don't ruin this for me. Hey, sure. you're adapted. This doesn't apply to you. <laughs> How heavy the food is, you know, the, the more heavy, the more rich, the more dense the food is, the harder it's going to be for you to digest it. So that's why things like, you know, easily absorbed foods like gels or shop locks, things like that, that become popular. And also just eating, you know, bananas, you know, kind of a more easy to digest foods are popular too. But I think a donut is fine or a pastry is fine or whatever if you're at a rest stop because, you know, if it's something that you'll enjoy to eat and it's something that's going to be absorbed relatively quickly because it's pretty high in sugar, then I don't see any, any problem with it, you know. But for a race, it's probably not good.
1: Well, plus the cafe stops. I know it's, I know it's not, you know, riding indoors on trainers. For sure. Like we yeah. do. But cafe stop, I think, is a crucial part of outdoor cycling, and I think everyone's got their mileage. Ken, do you have like a? Ken, do you have a mileage minimum you have to ride before you allow yourself to have a cafe stop?
0: Man, I, I no, not really. Um, I, I you know usually my bike rides. You know, being a dad with a, a tight schedule, I rarely get the luxury of doing the, the cafe stop. I um, usually have just enough time to. Yep. Like, and for me, it's not road riding anymore. And I can tell you a little anecdote about why here in a minute. But, but I throw my b- bike in the back of the, the truck and go to the trail and, and I ride for as long as I can and then drive back. And unfortunately, I'm close to having some really s- close single track trails to my house. I'm mainly just a mountain biker or uh, riding on Zwift. And, um, I can ride my bike straight to the trailhead from here. But yeah, one morning about, um, it was 2000, yeah, almost two years ago. Um, I was out mountain biking, had just hit a whole bunch of PRs and was segment seeking on for Strava and, and got some top tens and just cruising back through town in a, in a uh, bike lane. And somebody pulled out in front of me and sent me over their hood. And, you know, ever since that day, I just have not had the desire to go out on the road. And I've only been on the road maybe a half a dozen or 10 times since then and that was two years ago i can't blame Mm -hmm. you there for doing that at all for that one that's scary scary Mm -hmm. those are
1: scary things man
0: and this is not to you know for anybody i'm not trying to use scare tactics that's just my reality and um my my risk assessment um and i haven't missed it i mean once i got onto zwift it was so engaging the way, uh, dad's inside riding trainers or dirt had set it up with the voice chat Mm -hmm. and, and we started creating our own races and it's just such a rich community that it's very engaging. And then I get my
1: outdoor fix by going out on my mountain bike when I can. What a, what a funny, like add to the discord, like target group, the target audience, like, you know, they, they started this thing and they've got it all built around like video game chats. And all of a sudden, thousands and thousands of <laughs> strangely and awkwardly fit middle-aged people all of a sudden get on discord <laughs> to talk about cycling at five in the morning. It's just like, I mean, I'm sure they're just sitting around their office going, I mean, okay, I don't know what this is about. Yeah. But yeah. This is sure, fantastic.
0: You know? Who are these guys? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. They're <laughs> yeah, our that next would,
0: That would be great. So Shane, I was looking, I was looking under your notes and there's some really shocking things that I saw, um, that, uh, what you mentioned, you typically see a fitness decrease two to three times as fast as it is regained in sedentary yep, people. sedentary people. Um, okay. So tell me a little bit more about that versus somebody who, like you mentioned, uh, Miguel Endurin. yep. Enduring Enduring, Big mig. uh, um, later, later in the article. And, uh, so explain like the difference between, you know, your, your, your couch potato that's just been riding for the summertime and is, is gone back to the couch versus Miguel and Doreen. Sure. Yeah. So
2: I wanted to kind of take two different athletes types because, you know, Zwift is very encompassing and hopefully the, the podcast listeners are too, where some athletes are going to be very highly trained and some athletes are going to be you know, more of a summer fair weather type riders. So the big thing with detraining is the more fitness you have, the less the detraining is going to affect you and the slower the decreases are going to be. So this one study I found published by Nolan, um, he took a group of sedentary individuals and he had them do a 13 week training routine and then he separated it out into two groups one group didn't do anything for a month and the other group did a decreased amount of exercise for a month so both groups lost a considerable amount of fitness because i think camera was it but it was a 60% decrease in training for the train the group that still trained but what was shocking was the Group that didn't do any training after just one week of doing no exercise, all of their response to training was abolished completely. So it was almost like they never had they had never trained before a day in their life. Wow, that so, is crazy. Again, remember we're talking sedentary. So you know if you're the kind of rider that rides from June to September and then you put your bike away, you're gonna lose all that fitness you've gained in a, about a week or two weeks. Believe it or not. That's why it's really key to, which we'll get to later, is to, you know, keep yourself going ideally all year round doing something. It doesn't have to be necessarily cycling. It could be cross-training, but something that's going to be cardiovascularly demanding for you to do.
0: So did you say that there was a second group that just trained less, like they they lowered their volume down? they trained
2: 60% less than they did during the 13 weeks and they also had decrease in you know VO2 maxes things like that but their their diminishes were nowhere near as bad as they were for the group
0: that did one week of nothing at all gotcha so the the key is is like just don't go back to the couch completely like keep doing something exactly yeah,
2: especially if you are a sedentary type, where you're kind of getting into things, because you know, by the time you get to the thirteenth, fourteenth week, you'll have some decent fitness built up, but the fitness is going to be very fleeting, where you only have about a week before you lose it all if you don't do anything at all.
1: So, so essentially, if you're someone who's relatively fit and staying active in some way, then you'll maintain a decent base. Is really the the kind of terminology we could maybe use. Sure.
2: Exactly. Yeah. The, the, the more fit you are and more importantly, the longer you've been fit, the better it's going to be for your longevity in terms of fitness, where you'll lose fitness a lot slower than the, the average person that is more sedentary, more, you know, sitting for work, things like that.
1: I tried to, uh, pull up some of the graphs you sent us, um, while you were talking, but yeah. then I quickly gave up because I know absolutely <laughs> what none of this means. Um, and so it's, I mean, we could give it to, I feel like we could do a podcast on you describing how to read these graphs, but no one would listen to that.
2: Yeah. And I kind of don't want it to be like that either. I want to give the information in a digestible and understandable format. I don't want to get into, you know, physiology, biology, all that stuff, because that's kind of boring. Would you say that,
1: would you say that your, your, uh, description of this study would be like a simple carbohydrate that you could digest easily for quick. Absorption, <laughs> not a donut. <laughs> not a donut, yeah, perhaps. But like I said, too, I mean, if you like donuts
2: and live life, man, enjoy it. You know.
1: Okay, I should, I should be, I should be clear. I'm using do- do- donuts as like a colloquial shorthand for pretty much all pastries. But that's a, that's a different podcast.
0: Yeah. Okay. So tell us what happened. Tell us the story about Miguel and Durain. We're dying to know.
2: So the other flips other side of this coin is a you know elite athlete and you know Miguel Indurain is obviously a freak of his
0: time. So just to give you some And he is it for our audience he won the Tour de France 5 times. Right. He's one of three people that have ever done that. mm
1: mm-hmm. Mhm. It's like 90, 90 or 91 to 95 or something like yep. that.
2: Right, right. So um I'm going to give you numbers from testing he did in 1996 and then I'll compare that to testing he did um, with this test, which was, I should know that number, what year that was done. Uh, It was 14 years after his retirement, so he's 46. So, let me pause here just so I can get what that year was. Hey,
1: I just, I also want to just share this with you. I just, because I wanted to pull it up and look at photos. 2012. He and I have the same birthday. Oh, you do? Miguel Indurain and I have the same birthday, That's, which oh was man. yesterday. That's
2: awesome. So there I you put go. Put that on the fun facts for the podcast. Let me start that over again. All right. So on the other side of that coin, you have professional athletes. And I found a very interesting study of Miguel Indurain, which was produced by uh, Mujica, or Mujica. I don't know how you say his last name. Sorry if I'm butchering that. But he <laughs> compared his testing from 1996 to a testing he did 14 years after his retirement in 2012 so just to give you an idea of the differences so his view to max uh in 1996 was 80 which is you know off the scale freakish his sure uh his ftp or which this the uh, scientist measured it for the onset of blood lactate, which is about four millimoles, was a five hundred and five watts, which put his, oh my God. <laughs> which put his oh, watt per kilo. So
1: that, that'd be twenty minutes. Twenty minutes of that.
2: Uh not necessarily. So we'll get into that later. But FTP isn't necessarily twenty ninety-five uh, percent of a twenty-minute power. But we can go into that later. Um, sure. So five of five was his FTP, that put his watt per kilo oh. at six point two three. And like we talked before, the carbohydrate to fat reliance, so his FTP as a percentage of his max aerobic power was 88% and 96, which means he can work 88% up to threshold by burning primarily fat, which is huge. Mm, So he can work up to very high zone three tempo zone, almost into low threshold without with burning primarily carbohydrate, with, with burning primarily fat, carbohydrate. And then his last minute for his ramp tests was 572 watts. So you can tell just an absolute freak. God, athlete. that is
0: a freak, man.
2: The testing basically said that he did, you know, he still rode during the 14 years between the tests and the current test, but it was obviously nowhere near what it was before. So the tests he did in 2012, his vo 2 max went from 80 to a 57, but a 57 is still superior for his age. His FTP went from a 505 to 360, and his Watt per kilo went from 6.2 to 3.9. So even with relatively low training, being detrained, he's still a
0: very solid B,
2: if not A racer.
0: Right. So that would still put him at, um, you said that was at 92 kilos, which I believe is about 200, 205 pounds. Like he's not a little dude. No,
2: he was, he was 81 kilos during his test in 96. So he's about wow.
1: 11 he's pounds, boy. 11 kilos, excuse me, 11 kilos. So heavier. really, I mean, and part of that was with him, you know, eating some more cheesecake and drinking a little bit more sure. wine between those two sure. times.
2: And then... The wow. big thing like I said was the carbohydrate. So his uh, FTP as a percentage of his max power went from 88 to 80% FTP. So now you're talking 80% FTP. That's when the transition between fat and carbohydrate starts. So he's burning gotcha. fat at, he's burning primarily fat at 8% less than he was in 96. So um, gotcha. just less, you know, quote fat adapted. But the point being You know he didn't do jack nothing well he didn't i can't say he did jack nothing but he did a way less training for over 14 years and he's still a solid b plus a minus racer relative to a sedentary individual who does three months of training and they take one week
0: off and they lose everything that they've gained right right and he was probably training 20 25 hours a week you know for at least at least yeah uh, Uh if not more
1: yeah you know he could still like dig and find like a gear and just like hammer <laughs> for sure,
2: sure yeah i mean his his last his last minute of the ramp test was still 450 watts so it was 572 That's in so 96 it was still 450 in chosen 12
1: a couple of weeks ago i was on a group ride and there are these two older guys whose names i won't share but they uh i don't know they're probably both 60 plus but both of them were uh olympic medalists in different cycling events mm-hmm. from years gone by and holy crap like it's exactly what you're talking about these guys were just leading the train yep. and they were just still i mean they were working hard but like they you could even if you didn't know i mean if you did just join the group and you didn't know that these guys were olympians you'd you'd be asking like who the heck are these guys it was just a different it's a different it was just animal. a different level yep. Absolutely, gotcha. yeah, it's unbelievable.
0: Well, so so Shane, let me ask you this. So, like, so I'm somewhere in the middle between Al Bundy yeah. and Miguel and Duran, like everybody else. <laughs> and uh, and and I, <laughs> right, exactly. And so, um, and I'm and I'm detrained. So let's say I'll give you an example. A couple years ago, I got the flu, and then I got like a sinus infection, and then I had a reaction to a mm-hmm. uh, penicillin. It took me out for like a month. What does getting back on track for the, you know, our typical listener look like? So
2: before we do that, let's talk a little bit about the differences in like zero to two weeks, four weeks, nine weeks, and 12 weeks. So for a trained athlete, the first two weeks, you really won't lose much of anything. And if anything, you'll actually probably absorb and adapt to the training you've done before, Okay. as long as you were coming into that illness or that time off or whatever, pretty fatigued. So, you're almost using that-
1: Almost like a almost like a exactly, taper? Exactly.
2: Almost like a taper. Yep. Um. So, the, the biggest changes I see with the research is two to four weeks, where VO2 max can decrease anywhere from six to 20% in two to four weeks, which is crazy. So- That's where like you lose all the blood values. You start to lose your ability to carry oxygen, your stroke rate decreases, all those kind of really unfortunate bad things change. So zero to two weeks, you're kind of in the clear. Two to four weeks is like where everything really starts to cap and kind of go downhill. And then nine plus weeks, that's when you're talking a 20 to 25% loss in VO2 max. Wow. So it's almost like, if you can, if you can salvage it within two weeks, you're pretty good, and you definitely want to try to salvage it in within four weeks, because after four weeks, you're kind of going back. Um, not you're not going back to ground zero like the sedentary group would, but you're losing about twenty five percent of your, you know, aerobic capability at that point, point. and it's going to take about you know th- two to three mm. times the time you are off to rebuild what you lost. So wow, um, wow.
0: So there, That's this depressing. is very everybody. Don't take a four week break, <laughs> right? Well, yeah. I,
2: don't take a four week break by choice. Obviously, it's, things happen, but, right? Sure. Um, yeah, don't take it by choice if you can't if you can predict it. As far as like getting back on track, yeah, I, I like to first kind of take a step back and just reevaluate how long have you been, you know, off for? What were you off for? Because if you know, I had an athlete this year who <clears throat> got the flu in february and he literally wasn't able to breathe deeply till about may so even though he could train he couldn't really dig because the flu you know attacks your lungs so he couldn't just he couldn't you know breathe deeply because he just had scar tissue in his lungs from the flu so you know it kind of depends what you had what you had going on why you took that much time off and then why'd you do that then come up with a plan to rebuild the fitness that you lost and again, the plan depends upon how long the break was. Um, the biggest issue I see is people try to jump right back into where they were before their time off, and that typically can lead to injury or you know just really burnout. Because yeah, if you can't hit the same numbers you're you were hitting six weeks ago, and you come back and try to do a work that you could do six weeks ago, and you fail it over and over and over again, that's not going to really be great for the psyche and the overall motivation so
1: i've heard it said many times like you know if you're and you know ken you and i were texting back this yesterday the day before um you know if you're if you're trying to ramp back into a training plan maybe you've been at rest or whatever and you start finding that you're failing workouts like isn't the smart thing to do to kind of decrease your percentage and like finish well rather than just like redline it and fail every time like is that kind of what you're saying like if you're entering back into it maybe you need to say like take a long-term perspective and say my goal is fitness, not just some sort of, uh, I don't know, idol inside my own heart about feeling a certain way or I'm the hard cyclist, but saying, actually, I want to get stronger the right way, smart. Right. Um, and maybe that means riding less hard for a while. Yeah,
2: I would agree because you want to rebuild. Ideally, you want to rebuild volume first and then intensity second. But if you're time crunched, then you kind of have to do what you have to do. Um, but typically I like to rebuild volume first of a can of my athletes and, you know, depending on how much time they have available to train and maybe zone two, three for the first couple of weeks to a month, and then maybe throwing in some sweet spot and then maybe going up into more of a view to max type efforts after that. But typically we do want to, I, I like to play with the train load based off training stress score or TSS, which we talked about last week. Um, Typically, you want a TSS decreased, you know, by about fifty percent of what you could tolerate before. So, if you were tolerating, say, eight hundred TSS per week, and you took a month off, I would probably come back at around four hundred mm, to five hundred TSS the first week you come back. And right. I actually did this with Eric uh, Schlein, who's another dirt member, and I'll link this in the show notes too, as long as with the articles. But um, he went on a two-week holiday. And his CTL, which is his fitness, was an 83. And he came back the week of, so he left the week of March 18th. He came back the week of 4.8 and his CTL dropped by 20 points. And he was tolerating 700-ish, 750 TSS per week in uh, March. And I started him off at a 530 the first week he came back. And then you want to slowly rebuild the CTL that you lost.
0: Uh, l- l- let's just give a quick shout out to uh, Eric. Um, he is the founder and I guess editor in chief of uh Zwift Insider. Right. It's an awesome Zwift blog, probably the most popular one. So that's, that's, right. that's our guy.
1: Who's going to write all kinds of great articles about this podcast.
0: Yeah, let's hope. He did. He actually posted, uh, he posted an article it about our first good. one. It was a good article.
1: So, you know, you're talking about TSS score and these guys, you know, they talk all the time about peaking and being in good form and why some guys, you know, they're saying, well, if they're going to ride the Giro, they're not going to ride the Tour, and all these things like this and why the Dauphiné is so important. Like, is that kind of a metric of them doing like a ramp up? And they, they probably have this all graphed out and mapped out of them trying to like peak and then not lose because you kind of said that two week window. So like that, that just starts to kind of overlay like a kind of a beautiful complexity to these training plans, it's like, wait, even me as a normal guy, I can apply some of that to my life too. Um, cause it's kind of, you're kind of demystifying it a little bit, which I appreciate. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. So typically an athlete will have one or two a races that they'll want to be, you know, in quote, peak form for, uh, typically it'll be one in the early season, one late season, just so you have some time to do a little bit of rebuilds and a transition in between events. Um, and some athletes just have one event per season that they want to peak for. So like we said last time when you're on form you have high fitness and low fatigue. So you want to be progressively overloading the body during the base and build phases to ramp up that CTL or that chronic training load which is your fitness based on training peaks. You want to slowly ramp that up over the course of months and then the last week or two weeks that's your your taper phase where you wanna to try to maintain the CTL as best you can, but let the fatigue drop off to let your form rise. So high form is again, low fatigue and high fitness. So you can do that by planning out a ATP or an annual training plan in, you know, you can do it by year, you can do it by event, whatever you wanna do. Um, but it'll kind of give you a little bit of a roadmap on you know how much CSS you wanna hit per week, and then when your taper will be, when your transition will be. So kind of like we talked last week about planning your yearly versus a weekly. It's always, I think, better to plan yearly because you kind of get a better idea what you, what where the hard weeks will be, where the easy weeks will be, and you're know, just getting a better idea of where you'll be for
0: your event that day. I could see that being beneficial, especially with some of what I've been tackling with structured pr- training programs this year. Um And and some of my some of my goals. So I went on vacation just for a week and just ate terribly, put on like six pounds and had a a race. I got back on Friday and had a race on Saturday and uh or maybe on Sunday, but I just felt terrible. I mean I didn't get any I had failed a couple of workouts. I had uh decided to uh take my old wheel on trainer to the beach with me and, and do um uh, workouts with a, a power meter instead of erg mode and it just I lost my confidence from failing all those workouts and then uh, coming into that race I just wasn't in a good headspace and just got just got shellacked but what I'm hearing is I probably in real life hadn't lost any fitness um, it was just a variety of other factors maybe bad sleep bad eating and you know getting in my head with losing a few uh, or, or failing a few workouts. And and that was a big factor. Yeah,
2: I think confidence is definitely an under-talked-about thing in endurance sport, which we can talk about another podcast too. But you know, having confidence and having kind of motivation and drive is, I think, as important as having good fitness is.
1: Well, they say that bonking is as much between the ears as it is in your legs. So they say, whoever they are.
0: I, <laughs> I can definitely, I can definitely believe that. A, a friend of ours did a hundred miler, uh, Jason Muchler, you may have, read, or may have read about him. He's the, um, uh, was, uh, wounded really badly in, in action and, uh, his, his found swift and it's been really life changing and in, in a positive way for him. Uh, but he had a, a solo hundred miler and one of our friends pointed out like your head's going to give up before your legs do. He suffered it out and he's one of your clients, um shane so he
2: is yep yeah he did uh he averaged uh 21.2 miles an hour and did it in four hours Um, and 45 seconds seconds. so sorry four hours and 45 minutes excuse me so yeah he
0: crushed it compared to what he was doing last year which is great i'm stoked for him yeah yeah that is that is pretty amazing um so we had a, I think that this week, what we decided to do is really unpack this question in a lot of detail because it applies to so many of us. Um, whereas last week we tried to touch on, you know, multiple questions. Um, I think we are starting to run a little bit short on time. I was gonna get into some of the, the dirt origin story, but we can save that for, for uh, our next episode. And, uh, and, and have a little fun with telling the story behind that.
1: And we're going to start, we're going to start doing, uh, dad stories too, right?
0: Yep. We're going to start doing some dad stories and we're going to, we're going to pick out one of our members and profile that, that person. And, and, uh, uh, so we'll really put a human face on, on, um, what, what we have going on with, uh,
1: uh, dad's inside riding trainers. Ken, can we ask for stories from dads? For sure. Is that, is, are we allowed to do that?
0: We are allowed to do that. As a matter of fact, on the uh, IndoorSpecialist dot you can already read quite a few stories about some of the members of our team. Just fascinating people from around the world, and uh, and they're all just like us, you know, they're all just uh, doing the deal, trying to stay fit and balancing uh, life, parenthood, work, all the above. You know how it is? All of the above. Well, guys, it's been an excellent episode. Thank you both for joining in Shane. Thanks for all the, uh, the hard work and the research into putting into this and, uh, Chris Gorney again for our, our, his marketing efforts and our logos. And, uh, we will see you all again in two weeks. So everybody ride on and have a good week and we'll talk to you soon. Perfect.
1: Thanks guys. Bye everyone.